Why is it we can uh, talk on the phone all day, no problem, but once you get in front of the classroom or church, your mouth just goes completely dry? I don't get it. Uh, Well, good morning. I'm excited to be here this morning. Are you excited to be here this morning? We, got, we get to come to church. We don't have to come to church. I mean, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Also, keep Pastor and Kathy in your prayers as they travel. And continue prayers for the upcoming surgery and recovery as well. On a Sunday morning, William's mother came into her son's room and said, William, it's Sunday. It's, it's time to get up. Time to get up and go to church. Get up. From under the covers came mumbles. I don't want to get up. What do you mean, she said. That's silly. Now get up and get dressed and go to church. No, he shot back. I'll give you two reasons why. I don't like them, and they don't like me. Nonsense, she told him. I'll give you two reasons to go. First, you're 42 years old. And second, you're the pastor. (laughs) We're going to talk about the importance of church this morning. And I'm guessing you all probably know the importance of church because you're here today. But... What about those brothers and sisters that may have kind of strayed from the fray just a little bit? They kind of figure church isn't as important as it once used to be. Or maybe we'll just kind of rekindle some fires for us this morning as well. So we're going to be in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19, if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to that this morning. Because we're not just talking about walking into the church building. I come Sunday morning, I come Sunday evening, I come Wednesday and checking off the boxes. That's, that's not church at all. We're talking about the importance of church as gathering together corporately. And we'll have four points this morning. If I can get this thing to work, there we go. We're going to talk about the confession of the church the construction of the church, the composition, who makes up the church, and then finally the commission of the church. Because as we know, in America, some of the leaders in the pulpits aren't keeping Jesus as a central theme. We see that as a growing problem. People are just not coming to church to to be fed. And if they are going to church, maybe they're going to the wrong churches where Jesus isn't the central theme. Either way, people are not being fed today. So I pray that as you bring your praise and your worship this morning, that Lord willing and Spirit leading, you'll also be fed the Word of God as well. Used to be that businesses used to close on Sundays. Do we rem- I remember that. Do you remember that? To give people the chance to go to church should they choose to do so. But that's just not the case either anymore. One business owner to a Christian employee said, 
Isn't it in the Bible that if your ox falls into a pit, that you can work on Sabbath? And he said, well, yes, it is. But if that ox had a habit of falling into that pit, I'd either fill in the pit or I'd sell the ox. So we need to take a stand. A stand in love, of course. But we're to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. But we're seeing little by little our rights are being taken from us. So let me ask you a question. If we love Jesus... Shouldn't we love the things that Jesus loves as well? I mean, isn't that a great way to measure our lives? Are we doing the things that Jesus loves? Jesus loves His church. We are the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5.26 says, Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her so that He might sanctify her cleansing her by the washing of water with the Word. It's a beautiful passage. So the question becomes, who is Jesus to you and to me? This question has eternal consequences. It literally will determine your destination, your final destiny. It'll either be one of absolute unimaginable bliss or one of weeping and gnashing of teeth. At some point, you and I had to decide that for ourselves. And it wasn't because we grew up in a Christian home or because we attended church, but at some point it was who was Jesus to us? It became personal. And at that moment, we had to make that decision in our lives. We had first to believe that we were sinners, believing that He died for our sins, that He went to the cross bearing our sins and was buried, and He rose again. And then we wanted to commit our lives to Him. Do you remember that moment in your life? For some, it's probably been a while, but... I imagine it's just as vivid as anyone else's. It's a beautiful moment. Christ died for His church. So how do we reach those people that don't think it's important to come to church anymore? They work hard during the week. They want the extra day of rest. It's just kind of lost its flavor for them. How do we do that? Well, one pastor wrote it this way. He called it, No Excuse Sunday. In order to make it possible for everyone to attend church next week, we are planning a special No Excuse Sunday. Cots will be placed in the chapel for those who say Sunday is my only day for sleeping in. Eye drops will be available for those whose eyes are tired from watching television too late on Saturday night. We will have steel helmets for those who believe the roof will cave in if they show up at church. Blankets will be furnished for those who complain that the church is too cold, and fans will be on hand for those who say church is too hot. We will have hearing aids for those members who say preacher doesn't talk loud enough. There will be cotton for those who say preacher talks too loud. 
Scorecards will be available for those who wish to count the hypocrites. There will be a line at the top where you can insert your own name. We agree that, uh, we guarantee that some relatives will be present for those who like to go visiting on Sunday. There will be TV dinners available for those who claim they can't go to church and cook dinner too. One section of the church will have some trees and grass for those who see God in nature, especially on the golf course. And finally, the chapel will be decorated with both Christmas poinsettias and Easter lilies to create a familiar environment for those who have never seen the church without them. (laughs) The most important thing of course, is reaching those who need to know about Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing. But there are some saints that just need that little boost. And they need to know why church is important. And we need to know why, and we're going to dig deep today. We're going to take a look in verse 16 of Matthew. And we will see that Simon Peter, as well as the disciples, will be asked the very question of who Jesus is. I mean, they'd been with him almost three years now, and it was time to take the final exam. And this was given by Jesus himself. So the question or questions will be, who do people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? So in your Bibles, starting in verse 13, Now, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do yourselves, who do you yourselves say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven." So that's our first point this morning, the confession of the church. And the confession of the church is, the, is believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that is confessed by faith. Because, let's face it, we also have the option to believe he was Elijah, he was Jeremiah, he was just another prophet, a, a good storyteller, or just a good man. We have that option. The disciples answered in question, or I'm sorry, in verse 14, who do they say that I am by saying John the Baptist, Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah? Now the disciples who had been with Jesus were pretty much called to the carpet now. Who do you say that I am? And this is where it gets personal. This is also what we had to decide for ourselves. And then once we had decided that, at that point, we had to confess it. And it was by God's grace and strength that we responded to that question correctly. 
And aren't you thankful for that this morning? I know that I am, because the before and after pictures of my life, the dichotomy is is huge. I'm very thankful for that this morning. But if you are here this morning and you don't know this wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray that you will not waste another moment of time. We are not promised tomorrow tomorrow. But I promise that He is awaiting you with open arms. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what others say. It had to be personal. So while others said this, we said that. It's a personal session. Look again in verse 16. Peter in true Simon Peter form speaks out and makes a personal declaration or confession in faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And again, it was not group consensus. It was not political correctness. And it wasn't because Peter was more intellectual than the rest of them. To be sure, more bold. Jesus tells Simon Peter that he is blessed in verse 17 but that the Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And it's always that way. It doesn't come from us. We don't come any other way than the convicting of the Spirit and the grace of God. Jesus calls him Simon Bar-Jonah. What does that mean? He was focusing on his human nature. Simon meaning meaning hearer or listener, and Bar-Jonah just meaning son of Jonah or son of John. But Simon Peter was blessed because the Father had revealed it to him and then he confessed it. We could study the Word for the rest of our lives. We could obtain many theological degrees. But unless by the convicting of the Spirit and the grace of God that you make a personal declaration. That information just doesn't have any root. So he proclaims this unashamedly. So the question that I'll ask you this morning is, are we ashamed to claim Him him as our Savior, the Son of God? So far, we've witnessed the saving conviction and a saving confession. Now we will see a personal saving conversion here in verse 18. So look closely at verse 18, if you would. So we learn that Simon can mean hearer or listener, but it can also mean unstable. Yeah, Peter, unstable, I know. But Jesus, after Simon Peter's confession, changes his name to Peter, meaning rock, or Petros, which also means a large rock or, or a boulder. But we know that Jesus is the foundation rock, but now Peter and Jesus have the same nature. The old us 
the old nature that has defined us has passed away. Old becomes new, it becomes a new nature. So we have a new nature in Jesus Christ. Paraphrasing 2 Corinthians 5.17 there. Alright, so let's remain in verse 18. And we'll look at the construction of the church. Jesus says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, or Petros, I will build my church. But look here who builds the church. Jesus said, I will build this church, not you will build this church. Jesus Christ is the builder and the foundation stone. First Corinthians 3.11 says it like this, For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And the church isn't the building, although we are so blessed to have such a beautiful building here. We are the church. We are the living stones gathered together to form the church. The building is just where we meet. But some say that they don't need a brick-and-mortar building. I'm sure you've heard this before. To be a faithful Christian, I say, if Christ loves His church and we love Christ, gathering together and not forsaking the corporate worship should be paramount in our lives. Do you agree? Being faithful to gather together, encouraging one another, and carrying each other's burdens, we can accomplish so much together. Let me illustrate it this way. Do you remember sitting around the campfire? The flames going, and as they die down, it kind of leaves this mound of hot embers glowing red hot. And if left alone, it can usually uh, glow until the next day well into the next day. But if one of those embers rolls away from the rest, we see in about 20 minutes or so that what happens? It it turns dark. It turns cold. Well, so it goes with us. When we get away from the corporate fellowship of one another, the world is a rough place. We can get distracted, and we can also turn dark and cold. We need the fellowships of of one another to keep the fires burning. Amen? And by the way, the the church was not built on Peter. Sorry, Catholics. uh, uh, He's not the first pope. Jesus is the architect, the builder, and the foundation stone of the church. All right, look again in verse 18. Upon this rock I will build my church. So whose church? Maya is referring to Jesus. And who's building it? I is referring to Jesus. I will build it. And as we look closer at the Greek usage of these words, here for Peter and Petros, Jesus said you are Petros, again, a large rock, a boulder, 
But upon this Petra, I will build my church. So what's the difference? Well, Petras being a rock, but Petras meaning like a rock stratum, massive foundation. What was revealed to Peter by the Father changed him to a rock or a living stone as we are. And upon this Petra or foundation, Christ will build his church. The revelation given to Peter is the very foundation by which the church is built. Thou art Christ, Son of the living God. Now, if the the foundation had been built on Peter or sinful man, we just wouldn't be here today. On Christ the solid rock we are built and can stand the test of time until we are called home. That gives me peace. It gives me assurance. I'm thankful Christ is our foundation. Because remember, Peter who declared him in verse 17 as the Christ, six verses later, Jesus is telling him to get behind me, Satan. So now the foundation has been laid. What now is the composition? What what makes us who we are? What is the body of Christ? We're going to take a look at that. Sorry. Might have needed a bigger jug, I think. You know, I looked for a story here. I thought, well, there's got to be some lighthearted, funny thing about who we are and our differences. Because, But I couldn't find one that really celebrated our differences. But I will tell you that we're a very diverse church, and I think there's power in that. I think we come together stronger. So we the saints, like Peter are the Petras or rocks, the living stones, not dead stones, that are put upon the foundation of Christ. So now, if we comprise the whole of the spiritual church, then how can one stone be a building? You could pick up one stone and throw it, but together we stand strong. Jesus built us together. He bonds us together. And what is that glue? What is that agent that that brings us all together? I'll tell you, it's stronger than any glue or adhesive. It's the love of God. Love brings us together. Because without love, we don't encourage one another. Without love, we don't give to one another. Without love, we don't endure one another. And without love, there would be no church as ordained by Jesus Christ. Only love can fill in the gaps of all the living stones. We come in all different shapes and sizes. We don't have to come honed to perfection before we come to Christ or before we come to church. Amen? Aren't you thankful for that? Become just as we are. 
built together, bonded together, and we are blessed together. Alone, you are not effective in your walk as a Christian. You cannot reach people or utilize your spiritual gifts from the comfort of your couch. It's like the ember that rolls away from the, from the pit. Eventually, alone, you will turn dark and cold. Together we are effective. Together we are strong. And I tell you, a Christian that doesn't attend church is like a pilot without a plane. Or a teacher without a classroom. Or a carpenter without uh, materials. Okay, there we go. Hebrews 10.25 says this, Not abandoning our own meeting together, as is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, this is the commission of the church. So far, we've been looking back on how the church was built. We've looked back on, to see what Christ had ordained, what makes up the church, the church body, the composition. But now, here's where the rubber meets the road. It's time to look and see what is the call of us, our commission. What are we asked to do? We're going to take a look in verse 19, if you will. Read along with me. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Jesus leaves us the keys. This verse applies to us today. So what does that mean? What does that mean for us today? The keys stand for truth. It's the gospel truth as revealed to Simon Peter. Salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. The word key here actually represents knowledge. Back in Jesus' day, the scribes would walk around with their garments and they would have a a key hanging off the the side of them. And it, it wasn't for unlocking any doors or anything. It just represented knowledge. The knowledge, of course, that they held, but that's what it represented. But you and I, as the church, we have been given the keys or truth. So what have we done with them? Our commission is to win souls for Christ and using this truth and gospel message. Follow me in this, in this here. As Christians, we feed the hungry. We shelter the homeless. We take care of the sick. But if we are not sharing the truth and the gospel message with the world, we are only comforting them and making a better place for those people to, to go to hell from. Yes, feed. Yes, we shelter. Yes, we take care of the sick but love them enough to share the good news and gospel of Jesus Christ. As for the rest of verse 19, it reads, 
shall be bound and shall be loosed. Anybody have that in their uh, translation where it says shall be? The Greek construction here, and scholars agree that properly translated, should read shall have been bound, shall have loosed. Anybody have that in their translation? Shall have? It makes a big difference. We know some denominations take that verse out of context and use it improperly, unbiblically. Heaven's will will be done on earth if we are responsible with the keys of the kingdom. Jesus is saying, I have bound Satan. I have loosed the Holy Spirit. Whatever we bind, Jesus is already bound. Whatever we loose, Jesus has already loosed. And once again, Jesus has done all the work for us once again. I'm thankful for that. Amen? And he tells us that the gates of hell will not overpower it. It means that the power of the gospel is so life-changing that hell can't hold back those who would give their lives to Christ. It means that the gates of hell will not hold back the church from its intended purpose or completing its mission or expansion and reaching to the ends of the earth. And this is where we come in, dear friends. This is our call to arms. This is our commission. This is our mission field. We have some technical difficulties here. (laughs) It's okay. So I ask you, church, is church important? I say it's truly important. It's important to our Lord and Savior. It should very well matter to us. It should very well be important to us. Jesus died for His bride. Jesus built us together. He binds us together. He blesses us together. So do not forsake the gathering of God's people as some do. Do not forsake the commission to go out into the world and share Christ and give the gospel message. This could be at your workplace. This could be in your neighborhood. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Ouch. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. My hope, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame what the world has to offer, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. When he shall come with trumpet sound, may I then in him be found. 
dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we serve an amazing God. God, You have done so much for us as we look back on how You have divinely instituted the church and what You have started in our lives, Father, and what You're doing is a good work in our lives. We are so thankful for being able to come here today to worship and fellowship, to be fed. Father, we pray for the strength that we could be obedient to obey Your commands, that, Father, we could go out into a dying world to reach those that are headed in the wrong direction. Father, break down those barriers, break down those fears that we have in our hearts and our minds, Father, that we may be obedient children, that we may reach the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we thank You for this time. And bless those as they go today, Father. In Jesus' name we pray.